Welcome to Making Bread, Making Money in the Modern Age. Now, here's your host, Matt Barkley. Hey everyone, welcome back to Making Bread, where we talk about all the new ways to make money using the technology of 2022. I'm your host, NFL quarterback, Matt Barkley. My guest today is the president of Vayner NFT. Avery Akinini works with creators, celebrities, and brands to build long-term NFT projects. She also previously led VaynerMedia's expansion into the Asian Pacific market. And before that, she worked at Google. So she's been everywhere. She's seen just about everything. And I'm excited to talk to her about all of that today and more. So Avery, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so, so much for being here. Matt, thank you so much for having me. Best name of a podcast, I think, has to go to you. Making Bread is just such a classic and I'm honored to be here. It's kind of a play on words. I don't even know if the producers knew that I love bread on top of making money. So it's a double entendre that works well. And we do. We like to talk about you know ways to make money uh, using all the different forms of investing that people have access to and NFTs being one of those, which seems to be an expertise of yours. I know you you live in Miami. Are you kind of on the road right now? I am on the road actually coming to you from Mexico City, where VaynerX just opened up a new office. So it's a really exciting time for us. But the vast majority of the time, I'm based in Miami, where it is all Web3 all the time. We just wrapped up Bitcoin week, and I think you were there, right? Yes, I was down in Miami for Bitcoin conference. It was wild. 35,000 people converged onto the convention center there and pretty much took over South Beach for... It was pretty much all Bitcoin. There was no NFT talk. There was no altcoin talk. It was pretty much maximalist headquarters, but it was good just to yeah to hear those conversations and learn a lot of big time speakers. But I'm excited to talk about things other than Bitcoin with you. I did want to ask though, I saw just reading about you and listening to you, you grew up in Nashville, spent time in San Diego, live in Miami. I was wondering if any of those football teams rubbed off on you or if you have a favorite team you follow these days? You know, Matt, I'm probably one of the most ill-informed sports fans of all time, much to, you know, my dad and my husband's dismay, but I'm Tennessee Titans fan. We used to have tickets when I was growing up. And actually when I was growing up, the Titans were really good. Went to the Super Bowl at this point, probably almost 20 years ago. And that was a big moment for Nashville. And, you know, I try to go to games when I'm back home. Nice. I spent time in, in Nashville with the Titans. It's a great organization, great fan base. Right there on Broadway just makes a game day experience wild, I would say, just for for all those fans cruising over the river. But that is awesome. Thanks for being part of the Titans family. It's an amazing team. And let's see how how the Titans shake out in the next couple of years. Fingers crossed. Tighten up. I would agree. I will now say go Bills because I have different loyalties, but I love my guys there. And I hope to see you guys playoffs. We'll see in in the AFC playoffs. We'll see about that. All right, now we got some headlines with a segment we call Whale Watching. All right, so Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, he sold his first tweet for $48 million. All right, so the CEO who recently bought an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet for $2.9 million is now trying to sell it with an asking price of $48 million. What NFT would you break the bank for if you had an excess of $48 million? 
That's such a good question. I would go for a zombie punk. So crypto punks are one of the OG NFT collections. And I wish I had one. I don't. And some of the more rare traits are aliens, apes, and zombies. To me, zombie punk is a major move. That's a flex. And there will only be ever be one crypto punk collection. So that's what I would go for breaking the bank. I think those are also in the double digit million. So definitely one for your well watchers. I would take that over a tweet as well. Much more creative, yes. In other news, the immersive Van Gogh experience opened in New Orleans with a catch. There is no actual art to see. Instead, people go to a venue and put on VR headsets for the entire experience. How, how do you see the metaverse impacting traditionally live events in the future? I think we're so, we'll start to see more and more digital experiences start to become incredibly important for users. You know, whether you're viewing a museum, you're seeing a piece of art, you're experiencing a concert, you're watching a football game in a really immersive experience that might feel almost like you were there at the real game. I think we're seeing this develop slowly, but surely. If you think back, even a few years ago, Google has had like Google Museum and Google Earth for several years and been able to do things in that sort of 2D realm. Adding the element of headsets brings a whole new level of sort of metaverse-like experience. And I'm excited to see where that goes. Starting to see in the arts, culture, sports, entertainment segments, more and more of this. And I personally have an Oculus. I think it's a cool experiment. Very, very early days though. And I think we're not yet to the point where these metaverse experiences actually can surpass real life, but let's see where that develops over the next few years. Yeah, time will tell. And as that tech continues to get better, people you know, start to adopt it more. I think it could become very, very, very immersive and realistic. In other words, Mattel, the toy company, has released their first line of carbon-neutral toys, including a Tesla matchbox car. I mean, how important is it to get kids started early with things like understanding environmental sustainability? I mean, it's an electric car that you're used to seeing hot rods and these gas-guzzling monster cars, right? I mean, more importantly, what was your favorite toy growing up? Not necessarily a Hot Wheel, but do you have a favorite toy growing up? I loved American Girl Dolls when I was growing up. American Girl Dolls, I think were early pioneers of inclusivity. They had done a really nice job of telling different sort of historical stories. And of course you had these cool outfits for your American Girl Dolls. Everything from like dog sledding to horseback riding, my American Girl Doll was hooked up. So I wonder if we'll start to see American Girl Doll play in this world of metaverse and NFT soon. My sister loved hers. I can't say I ever owned one, but had them in my household growing up. So I would agree with you. The spectrum of those dolls were, uh, were impressive. All right, so get this. A professional poker player has been indicted in the theft of $500,000 worth of Bitcoin. If you acquired 500 grand and took it to the casino, what game would you play? Do you have a favorite? I like blackjack. I think blackjack is really fun. But if I'm being logical, I know craps has the best odds. And I think craps is the most fun yes. to play as a group. So I w would go between blackjack for personal playing and craps if I'm trying to hang out with my friends. That would be my same answer. I think everyone at one point turns their head to the craps table to see what is going on. Actor Bill Murray announced that he will be releasing an NFT collection of his favorite stories. So if you could hear one of those stories from anyone in Hollywood, who would you pick? Oprah. I love Oprah. I love her stories. I think she has an amazing voice. I think she is such an inspiration to so many people. So I got to give it to my girl, Oprah. She has many, many stories. 
I'm excited to see that Bill Murray collection because of how eclectic he is. I'm sure that collection will be off the wall as well. For sure. He's done so many different things. So Bill Murray has no shortage of interesting elements to bring into to his Web3 experience. All right, let's get into some of these questions, dive deep into your expertise and see where the conversation leads us. Welcome, 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 Avery. Uh, I know you keep a kind of a low profile on social media, so thanks for doing this and putting yourself out there. Uh, but behind the scenes, I mean, you're one of the most important and influential people in the NFT space. I mean, tell listeners about your history, how you got here. Uh, you have an interesting journey um, and how you ended up as the president of Vayner NFT. Yeah, well, I'm Avery, originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and I've spent the last you know, decade plus helping build brands through digital marketing. I started my career at Target Corporate and then I moved over to Google where I spent almost seven years helping build new technology and bring that to mass consumers. So I started in San Francisco and working on Google AdWords, which at the time was like a revolutionary new product. Keep in mind, this was 2012 when people didn't use the word Google yet as a verb. And over the the past 10 years, Google has matured tremendously as an organization, really empowering users to access the world's information and make it useful to them. So it was an amazing journey and I really enjoyed it. Moved to New York, started to work on the YouTube brand, building out how people could access long-form content in a new way. And through that, I got to know a little guy called Gary Vee. Gary Vee came to give a little guy. <laughs> yeah, to give, give a talk at Google. And um, he does these in, amazing, inspiring talks. And, you know, for any of your listeners who might not be familiar, check out Gary Vee on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, pretty much any social platform you can find. He has some awesome content. And, you know, Gary did this motivational talk and I was very inspired by how differently he saw the world of marketing. Ended up joining him. So I started working at VaynerMedia in 2018. And, you know, we were helping build the agency from essentially a community management shop into a global powerhouse. And I had the opportunity to go and launch our offices in Asia Pacific. So Singapore, Bangkok, Tokyo, Sydney, Hong Kong. And that was amazing and super fun. And we went from zero to almost 300 people in under three years, which is pretty wild. But about a year and a half ago, I asked Gary what he thought was the next big thing for marketing and for technology. And he was like, NFTs, this is it. And I was like, what is an NFT? NF what? I'd been sort of passively investing in crypto for you know maybe five years before, but I wasn't very deep in the scene. I didn't know too much. So then I just started doing a ton of homework and research into everything that was happening in the world of crypto, Web3, decentralization, DAOs, NFTs, metaverse, and went totally down the rabbit hole. I ended up moving back from Singapore actually to the United States and decided to form our team headquartered in Miami, but working closely with our New York team. Gary launched Friends in May of 2021, and that was a really revolutionary project at the time because it was so different than how everyone else had approached NFT pro- projects, which were mostly profile pictures, blind mint, flat price, etc. Gary wanted to do something that had immediate utility for holders. So each Friends, the project called Friends. Each VFriends holder gains access to an incredible conference we're hosting for three years. There's, you know, 250 different characters, which each have a different meaning and all hand-drawn by Gary. So launched that in, in May, finished minting in June, and then we launched Vayner NFT in July once 
we sort of felt like we had some key learnings that we were ready to help scale out to enterprise organizations because we were, you know, viewed this as a big opportunity. And in June, July of 2021, we were still bringing something that very few people had heard of and were aware of into market. So we were fortunate to start working with some big enterprises on figuring out their Web3 strategy. And fast forward to April of 2022, and we've probably done like over 20 different project launches with a real focus on helping add value to the NFT ecosystem and onboard more users into the space, which is still very emerging and small. And I like to say I'm a student of the game because every single day I learn new things from smart people like yourself, Matt. You know, every single day there's a new crisis and a huge opportunity in the world of crypto and NFTs. So it's really exciting to be a part of this. And, and I'm honored to be building this team and, and helping bring some of these projects to market. I love background stories. And I love what you said uh, when Gary first mentioned NFTs being the next big thing. And you honestly saying, I, I don't know what that is. And I feel like there are people in that same situation that have exposure to crypto or other you know, investment opportunities and are either scared or intimidated or feel like they may be too late. You're never too late to just jump in. All it takes is one decision, like you said, to go down the rabbit hole, as we all have in you know, various learning moments of our lives. And you're now the, the president of Vayner NFTs after just taking a decision to research, 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 and look into everything. I, I just love that point. But before the NFT aspect of Vayner, you were with Vayner Media and obviously around Gary a lot. And I think everyone listening has seen a clip or heard Gary talk. And I was curious as to your thoughts about what makes him so attractive to people. I mean, what makes celebrities just gravitate towards him? I think Gary's humility and authenticity is just unprecedented. Like he's the guy who would wear sneakers in the boardroom when everybody else is wearing a suit and tie. He is so authentically himself yes. and he's so humble that you can say something like, I don't even know what an NFT is. And he's going to make you feel bad. He's like, no worries. Let me show you. So I think Gary right. has this humility and authenticity that makes people gravitate towards him. And just this spirit of progress and innovation and not being afraid to fail. Gary's had a million and one wins, but he's had you know quite a few things that haven't gone the right way. And he keeps going on. He also communicates so much about his journey as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a founder, as a creator, that he actually like wants to share that out so people can, you know, take his learnings to benefit their own life. It's the reason he does shows like Daily V and Props and Drops and Gary V Audio Experience is he's incredibly generous with his knowledge and his network. And I have to say, I've never worked for a boss quite like Gary, where every day is totally a new adventure and really the sky is the limit. People often say that, but I think he really means it. So it's honestly a pleasure to work with him and, and get to be a small part of his brilliance. No doubt. And so when he kind of gave you the nod to take over the Asian Pacific market, opening that Singapore shop and then expanding from there, what were some of the biggest challenges about executing that global expansion? Because doing something here in the States in a new territory, you still are within the confines of you know what you know to be true in America, but it seems like just a whole nother ball game when you, you know go overseas. What was that like? Yeah, so Vayner had actually tried to start offices in Asia Pacific for a couple, a couple of sort of different tries, and it never really caught on. I think we didn't know what we didn't know, which was actually a blessing. But there's so much complexity around languages, around sort of intercompany expansions that we had to sort of learn on the ground. But I actually came to Gary with the idea of, hey, you know, I want to move to Asia. I think it's an opportunity for us. I think it's a big move for our business. 
And he was like, okay, why don't you go just do it? And, you know, I brought one other person from my team over to help me start it. And then we hired a finance person. And I think what we quickly learned was, what I quickly learned was it was incredibly important to hire locals who really knew the scene, who like had spent many years running ad campaigns in these markets. I hired um, a creative director called VJ from one of the big unicorns uh, in Southeast Asia. And he was a huge help to me. So I think I was able to take sort of the idea that you need to lean in to people who really know this stuff. And I could bring a lot of value of outside perspective of, hey, this is how we do it in the US. And this is how Americans think about it. But these are completely different cultures and they have a different sense of humor and a different sense of beauty in a lot of cases. So I had to learn a lot of that. And taking the idea of humility, authenticity, and leaning in to understand from people who really know this inside and out helped us get the right foundation set up that then built the right culture that then everybody wanted to be a part of. You know, creative people, media people, clients, they wanted to be part of Team Vayner. And then it kind of snowballed from there. It's incredible to bridge that gap and build something so massive. And and now you're kind of working more with individuals, celebrities, creators, brands specifically, to create these long-term NFT projects, right? And so how do people utilize the NFT market beyond simply just creating content and selling it? Is there a long-term effect you're looking for here? Yeah. I think the most successful NFT programs will be the ones that are developed over the long term, meaning it's not just mint out and take the money, but it's build a community, educate them about NFTs, educate them on why they should even want an NFT, help them get their wallets, help them join a community of of like-minded individuals or people with a shared common interest. And then you do a mint where the creator and the holder actually have aligned incentives for the project to develop because, you know, the NFT holders want it to go up in value. The creators want it to go up in value. And this creates a virtuous cycle. And it's, you know, something that needs to, you need to plan out your, how you're going to communicate and what you're going to offer your holders in advance. So there's so much that IP owners can give, whether it's access to sporting events, access to celebrities, free product, focus groups, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. So I think designing programs with that long-term view in mind is really critical. And it's going to separate out the projects that kind of mint and, and go to zero or you know don't even end up minting out from the ones that are real winners. And we're starting to see some real winners emerge in this space, whether it's VFriends or Board API Club or Doodles, these programs that continue to iterate and develop and surprise and delight their community in a really fun way. Yeah. One of the first things that I always look at is the community that's involved with the project, right? Whether it's the amount of Discord members or how big their Twitter account is, just to see how engaged people are. Now, there there might be some you know lower number projects that are just getting started that have a lot of potential. But in general, you want to see that community, which VFriends has definitely done an unbelievable job of creating so far. I do want to ask you, though, is there an, an angle or how important do you think in building those communities are the involvement of celebrities and influencers for those, you know, to develop those different projects? Or is it more of like a grassroots movement you want to see? I think right now, grassroots movement is definitely the way to go. Right now in the NFT game, like you don't need paid ads. You don't need paid influencers to develop a really successful project. That's not going to last forever. And some of your listeners might remember when their Facebook feed or Instagram feed wasn't full of ads, right? We're still at that point where like, you know, grassroots still works and creating an authentic group who wants to be in the same community still really matters, at least for now, which is wonderful. 
I think celebrities and influencers sometimes unfairly get a bad name in all of this because they're used to very standard sponsorship deals where, hey, I'm going to give you a check for blah, 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 and I want you to post about my project. That doesn't really work in NFT land where the community will quickly suss that out if it's legit or not. They'll know, does that influencer have a wallet? Do they even have any NFTs? Do they even know what they're talking about? So it's actually a recommendation that we give to our partners is to not engage in that paid stuff unless it's a long-term kind of a thing and they're transparent about it. If it's like, hey, this you know thought leader is part of our project and they're compensated, blah, they're in this with us or they're an advisor, I think that's acceptable and normal. But the sort of paid shill tweets don't go over very well. No. And you kind of touched on earlier the concept of having projects that have utility and have real world application beyond just a JPEG or you know your Twitter profile pic. How do you see that happening more and more in the future? Are those just kind of one-off projects or do you think that's kind of a big selling point to get, I guess, the masses involved with, with NFTs? I think we need to see a lot more utility out of projects to onboard the masses. And it can be things that are standard utility, tickets to a game, you know, fan club access, but they need to get something in advance versus just a JPEG and a roadmap and promise that, you know, people are going to build out all this stuff. So whether it's event type of access, product type of access, I think utility underpinning NFTs is super important to make that sort of connection to bring in more people. Because right now, this space is full of a lot of investors who are speculating on appreciation. While that definitely works to a point, that isn't enough to entice the much broader market of normal people into this space of NFTs. They're going to need some kind of utility and they're going to need easier on-ramps. So behind every NFT project that Vayner NFT works on, there's always some utility that's communicated very much upfront. So people understand what they're buying instead of, you know, sort of vague promises, which I think can be a little bit dangerous. The one exception to that I will say is art. I think Web3 is creating this whole new way for artists to engage and build their own communities. And these are artists who last year were making maybe 50 grand. And now they're, there was an, an example like, yesterday for someone who made $7 million on an open edition, which is amazing. And you know, this individual actually donated a million of it to charity. And literally one year ago, he was getting out of jail, right? And he donated a million dollars to help incarcerated individuals sort of get help and, and get free. So it's just amazing how much happens in a year. And I think art is the one place where I'll say the utility can be the art if it's from a legitimate artist. And I think we'll start to see more and more artists sort of lean into doing cool things that push the boundaries of Web3 technology. And they don't need to offer you know, access to a game or merchandise. Like they're an artist and the utility is the art. Yeah, because I think when most people think of NFTs, they think of the art aspect, right? They see the, the board Ape or the CryptoPunk and say, oh, that's an NFT without realizing all the other projects going on that do provide them access. One of my buddies, Matt Sanders, the lead singer of Avenged Sevenfold, turned his entire fan club on the blockchain and made it an NFT experience. So it has a real utility, right, to accept, you know, meet and greets or merch through an NFT, not just, you know, some some picture on your on your profile, which I which I think is cool. So I just want people to know beyond the art and the awesome projects going on in that space, the utility side of NFTs are very, very promising and doing some cool stuff already. But I, I wanted you to ask you, Avery, did you have a project that you wanted to either shill or that you're recently really proud of that you've been involved in? Well, I have to say VFriends Series 2 starts minting tomorrow. So VFriends 
Series one, as I mentioned, sort of the first drop was last year. Befriend Series two is going to massively expand the community. So it starts minting tomorrow, kind of exciting. It's first for Befriend one holders and book games holders. And then the public sale will be happening in, I think, 13 days from today. So that's one I would definitely recommend checking out as a pretty cool project. What's the difference between the Befriends 2 and 1? So Befriends Series 1, hand-drawn by Gary himself. Befriends Series 2, and there was only 12,555 of them. Befriends Series 2 is going to be 55,000, so much larger. And these are all sort of animations that take the characters from Befriends Series 1 and illustrate them in a new way that's the more sort of consistent visual identity that will be taken forward. They're all in different poses, and every single one of the NFTs is a one-of-one, which is pretty amazing. So bigger community, expansion of the project, Befriend Series 1 will always be the number one priority in Gary's heart, but he wanted to do something that expanded this to a broader base, hence Befriend Series 2. And yeah, everybody should check that out. So do all of those owners get access to the conference as well, or is that just the Series 1 owners? Just Series 1. Series 2 will have some more future utilities to be announced, but just Series 1 are the conference attendees now. I should also add on one more thing. We actually airdropped every single VFriend Series 1 holder, got a conference ticket airdropped to them, one per NFT that they hold. And we revealed on Friday that this was actually a collaboration done between Gary and Snowfro from Artblocks. Artblocks is one of the most famous generative art platforms. And Snowfro is iconic for his chromey squiggles, which are these sort of multicolored squiggles that have sort of come to symbolize like the genre of art market. No doubt. I love that utility aspect to it. Be friends too, guys. Check it out. Anything that Avery and Gary touches is gold. To pivot a little bit, I Googled celebrity NFT owners and the first article that pops up highlights 31 people, 27 whom are men. So how important to you is it to get women, not just like on a celebrity level, but in general involved in this type of investing? It's unfortunate to say, but the stats just, the the stats vary a little bit, but across the board, it's staggeringly like this, the making bread is being done by the men right now. And the getting bread is very male skewed. I will say that there are, there's so much energy right now around bringing in more female leaders, more female creators, more female collectors into this space. And I've been personally involved with a couple of things, including a pretty cool project called My BFF, which was founded by Jamie Schmidt and Britt Morin and you know, has a group of 30 founding BFFs, of which I'm one, with the goal of onboarding more women and non-binary individuals into the world of crypto and NFTs. So we did a really cool webinar a couple of months ago that basically educated women on how to get set up with your wallet, you know, how to get your first ever NFT. We gave every person who attended a friendship bracelet NFT that was totally free, including gas. And that is going to serve as a mint pass to actually mint um, the project that's dropping in a couple of weeks. So my BFF is a great example of an organization committed to onboarding these female and non-binary folks. And all kinds of celebrities are involved in that from Mila Kunis to Tyra Banks. So a really amazing like list of folks there and, and business leaders as well. In addition to my BFF, there are folks like Hug, which is led by Randy Zuckerberg, Meta Angels, which is led by Allison Downey. So many ladies get paid. There's so much like energy around getting more women into this space. So I try to use this as an opportunity to onboard my friends, my female CMO clients, people in my network, and, and maybe some of your listeners too, Matt, who might be crypto curious, but haven't taken the plunge. I think the opportunity for 
you know, me and, and our team is to create content that makes it easy for these folks to onboard. And the opportunity for, you know, an IP owner is to make something that's freaking awesome that makes these women say like, oh my God, I've got to have that. What's the Chanel bag of NFTs that's going to drive in a ton of badass women to start collecting? So I think we haven't seen that yet outside of a couple of projects like World of Women. There hasn't really been that, oh my God, I've got to have it kind of NFT collectible that's designed with with women in mind quite yet. And I think one of the beautiful things about crypto in general for both investors and creators is the low barrier to entry, right? You don't need to necessarily be an uh, institutional investor or even an accredited investor or have an in with Sotheby's or anyone else to you know get your artwork out there. You could literally be on your iPad making a, a collection, drop it on OpenSea, and if people like it, if it's good enough, you will sell and you will be able to make a living and create an unbelievable community. Do you think that aspect of it is more inviting to you know the non-traditional investor type and creators? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to creators. I think it it reduces a lot of the barriers that you just mentioned and the opportunity for creators to have a direct connection with their collectors as well that's sort of immutable in the blockchain. We're starting to see some artists do some pretty cool stuff. One that I'll shout out is Jimena Buena Vida, who, you know, and these artists that I collect their stuff on their NFTs, they are so thoughtful. Like they airdrop me things, they give me perks. Someone just sent me a print of the NFT that I bought and you know, I think we're starting to see female artists understand that there's real money in this space and that they can lean in and build their brand as they build a relationship with their collectors and continue to benefit off that secondary royalty, which is a game changer as an artist. And I want to make sure your listeners sort of get this because there might be some aspiring creators listening. If you are an artist and you mint your art as an NFT, you are able to take both the primary sale. So just like, you know, selling a normal piece of art, and then a percentage of all secondary sales in perpetuity. Say you sell it for $100, I sell it for $100 to Matt today, and in, in a year, he sells it for 1000 Actually, as the creator, you can embed in the smart contract the fact that you get 10% of all subsequent sales, which is really a game changer for emerging artists who are just starting to appreciate in their careers. So we're seeing a lot of creators start to understand this and get into it. And as you mentioned, Matt, the barriers are so low. Anyone who has an iPad and access to OpenSea or Manifold can go mint something. The tricky part is building that brand, is developing something that's desirable and developing the demand for, for what you've created. I agree. And and as a big public speaker and NFT ambassador yourself, you, you kind of just clarified one, maybe two right there. But what would you say is the biggest misconception of NFTs? There's There's quite a few if you can narrow one down. The biggest misconception of NFTs is that it's a flash in the pan, that this is a hot market that you know you missed and look for the next thing. People often say like, I'm late to this. I missed the boat on NFTs. And I tell people all the time, you didn't miss the boat. The boat hasn't even pulled away from the station. We're so incredibly early to this. Join us. There's still a relatively small number of like less than 10 million people who are actively involved in the space today. So join us. Hop on board, people. It is not too late. Thanks for clarifying that, Avery. All right, last question as we kind of wrap things up, but is there anything next for you? I mean, what new frontiers excite you? I mean, whether that's NFTs or other kind of developing technologies. 
One thing that I would love to do in the next couple months, and I think we probably will, is actually launch a brand that is Web3 first. So instead of taking traditional IP and moving it into the world of Web3, I would love to actually launch something with like Web3 principles in mind from the beginning. So whether that's like selling a real product using crypto, giving the you know percentage of proceeds back to the community, designing some type of cool token-gated access. I'm super passionate around launching a brand using Web3 ethos. So I'd love to do that. And then the second part that I'm eagerly looking forward to is finding a way to rethink sponsorships in more traditional ambassador relationships between folks like influencers or athletes and IP owners to develop more of win-wins that are going to stand the test of time a little bit better. So I'm really excited about both of those things. I think those are two challenges worthy of being tackled. And I think you should lead the charge. You know more about it than just about everyone else. And I think you can take us into that new chapter of, uh, of NFTs and Web3. All right, so now we got a little game for you, an NFT game. All right, I, I took to OpenSea and I searched for certain people and events that have been memorialized in NFT form. All right, I'm going to give you two search terms and you have to tell me which one put out more results. All right, you ready? I'm ready. We're gonna start off with major award show moments, okay? Some might be fresh in your mind, some might go down memory lane. But the first search term is Kanye West, Taylor Swift. The second one is Will Smith, Chris Rock. Which one has more NFTs? Gotta say Will Smith, Chris Rock. By a landslide, almost 1,200 results, which Kanye Taylor only had 21 NFTs. I think it's in the height of this NFT boom, and it was just the perfect moment. Crypto's one for going one. Wild. One for one. It, crypto Twitter was going wild. One for one. Way to go. Number two. I know you're in Miami now, so let's do a Miami sports one. Okay, the first search is Dwayne Wade. The second is Dan Marino. Which one has more NFTs? D Wade. Wrong. Wrong. Surprisingly, Dan Marino, 529 to 281. And yes, that includes typos that spelled Dwayne wrong. I am wondering how, what percentage of those were appearances from Bad Boys 2 and Ace Ventura. I wonder if those made, made the mix as sports NFTs, but Dan Marino for the win. One for two. We're doing solid. If we stay on track, we will win. So let's stay in Miami for this next search and go to popular movies set in South Beach. Which fictional character gets more results? Tony Montana or Ace Ventura? More results on OpenSea. Tony Montana or Ace Ventura? This is a tricky one. I honestly could see either one being true. I'm gonna go with Ace Ventura. That was my guess as well, but Tony Montana, I think purely because of that iconic scene with probably the machine gun and the white that. stuff that might have took him over the top. So Tony Montana has 705, Ace 122. Ace has got to pick it up. Maybe because it was a little older. I guess they're both old movies, but. All right, number four. Two sport goats are making a major comeback this year, but which search gets more NFT results? Tiger Woods or Tom Brady? Tom Brady has autograph, so hopefully he's getting more searches since Autograph, for those who don't know, is actually an, an NFT platform. Correct. Good intuition. You are correct. 48,000 Tom Brady NFTs to just 31,000 Tiger Woods NFTs. That is pushing the numbers to new limits. 48,000. Way to go, Tom. And yes, 
that is a uh, a good company he's involved with. All right, number five. Next one is simple. Which name gets more NFT results? Beyonce or Rihanna? Beyonce. Uh, actually, this is so hard. I'm going to say Beyonce, but neither of them have done an official NFT collection, unfortunately. They have not. And Rihanna is the winner by a thousand, edged out 3,000. Beyonce only is 2,000. Wow. So Riri Bad gets gal Riri. the win. All right, number six. It's the battle for Mount Rushmore. Which former president has more NFT results? George Washington or Abraham Lincoln? Gonna go with George. Yes. Number one for the win. He's got 2,700. Abraham Lincoln, 2,400. Being by 300 NFTs. Way to go, George. We're proud of you. Number seven, last but not least, it's the matchup we've all been waiting for. Which name yields more NFT results on OpenSea? Avery Akinini or Matt Barkley? Matt Barkley. <laughs> no, come on. You've got 10 NFTs in your name and I've, I only have six. Wow, I'm so surprised you to hear win. that. We need your fans to get up and get posting. I think purely because of that last question, you have more NFTs than me on OpenSea. You win. Way to go. Avery, thank you so, so much for joining me today and talking about the world of NFTs and your perspective. If you guys enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and leave a review or subscribe if you haven't already so that you never miss an episode. Thanks for watching. I'm Matt Barkley, and this has been Making Bread.